Hello, this is your host, Cheryl C. Jones, with a warning. This podcast contains true stories of individual genius that may inspire you to take action in your own life. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Getting the Best Results Podcast. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones. I'm an author, a speaker, a podcast host, and a coach to individuals and organizations who want to have more happiness and success in all areas of their lives. And today I have a very special guest, uh, very special because every time I'm with him, I crack up. He just, he's got this wit that just really tickles me. And I had the, the privilege of spending a weekend with him at a writer's retreat. And that's when I got to know Trevor Perry. So Trevor is a keynote storyteller, a technologist by trade, an Australian by birth, and a collector of wisdom. He is the founder and CXO, now that's Chief Extraordinary Officer at URXO Inc. Trevor's unique background and heritage allow him to use storytelling with humor and translation to entertain you, challenge you, and make you feel. His keynote presentations are interactive and include both serious stories and play moments, all of which challenge your perspective and cause you to feel. So I want you to welcome, and please let me welcome, Trevor Perry. So glad to have you. Thanks, Cheryl. It's really good to be here. Well, as we typically start out, I think it's important for people to know a little bit about your background and who you are. And very quickly, they're going to notice an accent or not, maybe. Um, But I think we should explain that so that um, everybody's really clear on where you've come from and how you came to be who you are today. So I paid 50 bucks for this accent in New Orleans. I think I got my money's worth. (laughs) It seems to have stuck. (laughs) <laughs> and you know you've heard me say this before but i uh, my tagline is is i'm an australian of irish heritage living in america who used to put on a fake english accent at the texas renaissance festival and uh you know went to england with that and learned you know how to teach english their own heritage which was really interesting but my perspective is one that's been sort of shaped by the fact that i grew up literally in the australian bush and a mile from our house were only kangaroos, emus, lizards, snakes, and, and our dog. And that was a really interesting and fascinating upbringing. But I always had a desire and a wanderlust and ended up in America. And I've been very fortunate in my career to being able to travel a lot of the world. And in fact, October, we did a four-week trip to Vegas, which is an adventure unto itself then Sydney each a week and then to Prague and oh, then wow. to London ended up in a weekend in Dublin. And uh, that's the kind of trips I've been doing over the last 15 years that really bring joy because I get to see an amazing parts of the world, but I live in America and I've been uh, a consultant in it for a very long time in America. And I had an event in my life, which was the world's worst divorce because it was mine ended up in Austin, Texas, and discovered some things that were waiting to get out. And I did actually um, audition for the Texas Renaissance Festival and and did six seasons at Renaissance Festivals in costumes, faking an English accent different times for 
you know, eight weekends a year. And it was just a, an incredible experience. A lot of street theater was incredible. And I got back from that with a new perspective and I started doing motivational speaking with a session that was called Get a Life. And to a lot of techies who then wanted a handout. <laughs> so I wrote the book called Never Iron When You Are Naked. Which is and, wonderful. I've read it. <laughs> and it's just, a, people say, look, I never really forgot any of Well, I just forgot these things. This is common sense. And so I, one of the things that really shaped me a lot was I, I felt like I had to reconnect my new self with my old self. And I went back home to my place where I grew up, which was a 26 acre vineyard and discovered it had been raised completely to the ground. It was just red dirt. And for about three months in America, when I got home to America, I discovered I had no more memories of my childhood. They were replaced with this red dirt field. And it took me a little while to realize I was the sum of all my experiences. I didn't have to reconnect mm -hmm. all of the things that happened to me. The moment I realized that I got my memories back and that defining moment has been something that I've been able to teach and talk about. And, you know, it, it's a lot of people come up to me after my sessions and tell me that I've changed their life. And I realize I never do. I have to say thank you and be polite, mm -hmm. but everybody has a journey they're on and sometimes they cross paths with me and I might be the, the person they need to hear that day, the catalyst for whatever it is. And so I've started uh, growing my keynote speaking. I now have a session called You Are Our Extraordinary and I had a session that was called Finding Your Passion and I've been teaching that for a while. Uh, I taught a class called uh, How to Be an IT Survivor. And the end of it was find your passion and follow it. And people said, we don't know what that is. So could you write a session called Finding Your Passion? And I did. So the struggle was, is I'm in the middle of that first session. And they said, Trevor, what's yours? And I went, oh, no, I forgot to do the exercises myself. <laughs> and in the middle of that, session I discovered my passion uh, is storytelling mm. so um, that was a, another defining moment for me and I've been teaching that to people and it's the most incredible thing to see people transform from searching to a different journey which is knowing that they can find what it is they're looking for and all of that, I'm still writing code every day as one of my day jobs. <laughs> so I'm the very strange technology guy who has a different perspective and uh, a slightly different accent, although most people who know me for a while sort of forget mm -hmm. that I have an accent. Um, but, um, you know, it's always a good way to start a conversation. When I first moved to America in Chicago, I would speak and people would go, wow, where are you from? <laughs> after they said what to my first sentence. Um, and it was, it was amazing how much I got to meet the true Americans because the moment they said, wow, where, where are you from? They dropped their facade mm. and I'd say Australian, they go, I always wanted to go there. And instead of posturing with one another, trying to one up each other and, and, and to have the white picket fence and the, and the great car, etc., they would just drop all facade and I would become their immediate best friend. So I've been very fortunate in my life to be in a situation where I'm the stranger in a strange land, but nobody knows. 
and I can observe and see things. And it's not until I actually open up my mouth that people go, eh, something's up here. <laughs> and uh, so I'm working on wisdom. Uh, I don't think I'll ever be wise, but I'm trying to learn how to use wisdom uh, with critical thinking to at least help people understand their place in the world and what they can do. That's fascinating. I mean, it's so much, it's a journey, right? I mean, it's what I hear you saying. And I was just having a conversation with somebody this morning about, you know, I have a birthday coming up later. We all have one coming up this year somewhere. <laughs> but, but um, And I was like, okay, so this is not exactly where I thought I would be at this juncture. And then, you know, so what does that mean? Yet I was quickly reminded, because this is somebody who's known me for a long time, of all the different experiences. And you said, you know, we're the, the sum of our experiences. And boy, I don't think I would have changed any one of those, you know, um, really, because it's, it, it's, it's what's interesting and what's next for each of us. And that's what's next, you know, whatever's next for you and is more added to this, you know, the, 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 the point of who you are and, and your gifts to the world. So I think, I think it's really awesome. And I feel really, really, really lucky to know you and kind of be in your circle. Thank you. I'm honored. <laughs> well, what we talk about quite often in this podcast is about the about your personal genius and or that trait quality philosophy that has guided you and contributed to you know your your success getting the best results either in life or career or both and you it sounds like to me what I know about you is that you've had that in both areas of your life and uh, even if you did have the worst divorce in the world and um, hopefully that's behind you now uh, way <laughs> behind you um, but I'm curious to know if you were going to you know you're a man of many talents so um, I'm curious to know what do you think your genius is so it's, it, I, I do make a joke about my divorce because it was mine, therefore it was the worst, but it truly wasn't. In the end, I learned so much from the experiences I've had. Um, the, the one thing, I, I've been trying to work this out. I asked my friends recently what, my, what they thought my superpower was. It's a very humbling experience to ask your friends that, and it really helps in your branding. And... I learned a lot, but the one thing that I've always had in my life is curiosity. Mm. And I don't think that's my superpower, but I think it enables my superpower. And at one time in the midst of a, a situation, it's a face reader told me that I was a problem solver, but I could see the big, big picture and then narrow it down into the individual things. And I believe truly that that's what I do. I, you know, first of all, I'm a man, so I have to solve problems. And, my mother was codependent, so I have to solve problems. So I'm doubly cursed. But um, so as a problem solver, I'm, I'm always, my brain works that way. And I think that's a fairly human condition. But ultimately, the th one thing that I'm able to do is translate. And that translation comes in technology. It means learning something and being able to translate it so that it either produces a result that's usable that's um you know successful or that it helps other people build similar things that are usable successful and i think translation has been a keynote 
of my technology career, all the way along, I've had people say, I want to come and work for you as I want you to start a consulting business and I want to come work for you. And I've never wanted to be a leader. I took a, a, a test that said I was not a leader. And the next week I got a promotion because I was a leader. <laughs> but I didn't, I don't go out to, to be, I don't like being a manager. I don't like managing other people, mm-hmm. but I like to lead by example. And I think the translation is that. And then as I started doing motivational speaking, it was telling a story in a way that people could understand some heavy concept and make it uh, easier to grasp. And that's translation. So that both of those sort of have a key part that's storytelling, which is what I believe my passion and purpose is, is storytelling. So translation is is the simplest way to describe that. And, and that being played out in the storytelling to help people get it is what I hear absolutely. you saying. Yes, absolutely. Oh, where have you seen this translation take place in other parts of your life besides like solving problems at work or that kind of thing? So one of the really fascinating parts about travel is that you need to translate a lot. Um, I learned one language when I grew up and that was Australian English. And I got to America and I had to relearn how to spell. But I was standing, and I have no other languages, and I was standing in the middle of Paris and a lady walked up to me and asked me in French directions. And all I could do was basically fumble out something in French that resembled, I don't understand any French. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, she just oh apologized profusely in English and, and walked away. But there's always a translation of culture. Mm-hmm. There's a translation of uh, events that happen. Right now, we're going through some unprecedented events in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, to understand them, you can't just listen to memes. You can't just, you know, take news as it is. You have to put a lot of things together. And so translating based on seeing the big picture, gathering information, putting it all together to come to a truth. And it's interesting because I've always been slapped around for me saying it's the truth when it's just my truth. (laughs) But my truth is the way that I grasp the world and understand the world. So translation happens, I think, in everything that you do in your life. One thing I've been doing for a long time is trying to get my type 2 diabetes under control and part of that is it's not just pills like every one of my american doctors decided to give me but it's also exercise and diet and part of my you are extraordinary is to work on five things your body your mind your soul your spirit your heart and part of the body is is i've learned that if you sit down and, tr- and record all of your uh, intake, food intake on a daily basis into an app, there is some evidence that within three months, the people who do that religiously lose 30 pounds. I don't have 30 pounds to lose, but I have done that in the past. But in doing that today, not only am I learning and it's translating for me, what my food intake is, but what carbs I'm taking in, what protein, what fat I'm doing, and just how that affects and I'm watching my blood sugar, putting all of that together and coming up with essentially what is a new lifestyle 
helps me grow as a person. And I think that's just one example. There are other things too. I'm, I'm just, uh, you know, quite a liberal because I grew up in Australia and we have a lot of socialist programs and I'm a liberal because I believe in, in, in equality for people. And so I butt heads a lot with people against that who are not liberal and um, I've learned to ask questions rather than state positions mm-hmm. in a discussion. And that's a translation too. I have a friend who's quite religious and I'm not. And uh, we actually had um, several conversations in an environment where it was very safe and it was just the two of us. And then I had an opportunity to interview him in front of a crowd of technologists. And at the end of it, somebody said, don't make us cry. And it was because we were able to have a conversation that was meaningful without forcing our biases upon one another. And I think that's where translation comes in to be able to see his perspective. I totally disagree with it, (laughs) but I'm able to understand more about his position, how he came about that and translating that into it's okay for him to have that. It's okay for him to be that way. Helps me grow as a person. So I think that's a real key thing too. Well, and if we could find a way to teach people that, oh man, just uh, a lot of a lot of chaos. It would not be happening. You know, <laughs> if we yeah. could just learn to be able to talk as the two of you all talked and, and recognize that we had differences of opinion and that was fine, you know. Part of it was somebody said, why did it make a difference? I said, because we met in person and we talked in person and that's something we don't have a lot of today in social media and you know online forums and the interesting part was is they said why in person was it different and i came up with the most profound thing and i said because we could see into each other's souls true and that was really true at that time and i didn't know that but it was part of wisdom that gave me that word and then that was another translation to help me grow as well so I think it's an ongoing daily basis thing, even though I'm stuck in my head coding or writing a presentation or something like that, writing a blog, I'm still working every day to take the translation, make it into lessons that I can learn to grow. That's, to me, that's fascinating. I, I think that's, I mean, so many people are not um, alert to all of these things that are going on. They're, they're, they're noticing them. They're noticing their, their, when they're stretched or challenged or there's a chaotic environment. But what I find most often when I work with organizations as well as individuals, very often they want to blame somebody or something else for that situation rather than going, okay, what's in this situation for me to learn? What should I be taking away from it? How, what's my role in it? And what I hear you saying is that you're looking at, you're alert to all of that. You're aware of it. And you're like, you know, where, what's the learning? You know, what, what is there for me to get from this? And I, that example of, of talking to your friend and looking into someone's soul, um, totally, I totally understand that. I remember um, going to a workshop once and the, the, one of the first activities, like we, there's a whole crowd of people, we barely knew one another and you had to find somebody in the room you didn't know and stand and look into their eyes for like seven or eight minutes. It seemed like a lifetime. <laughs> and, and the longer you stood there, the more you felt naked. But then there was this threshold you crossed 
And of course we were closed though. I don't want to give the wrong impression, <laughs> but, um, but the longer you stood there, there was this, this threshold you crossed when you did see into that person's soul and you, you saw what they were about, you know, um, and it was moving. It was just, and they saw into yours and it was like, it was, it, there was a connection that was undeniable. Yeah. And look, I, I don't complain, I claim ever to be perfect in any way, shape or form, because I think that we're all imperfect in one form or another. And the best that we can do is try and things like that, that exercise shows you where you might have walls. And, you know, sometimes we won't, we're not willing to do that. And it's really cool when you go to an event where you're almost forced into it. Mm-hmm. and uh, I've used to run some improv classes at technology conferences, and we would always stay at the beginning, say at the beginning, you know, I had a friend who was helping me with that, and or I was helping him, and um, we would say, right, this is going to be interactive. You're going to be engaged, and several people would rush out the room, <laughs> and then, you know, people would stay, and they would engage and be open, and I always say it's very safe in here, and if it is a safe environment, and you can put yourself into that, you can do things that you wouldn't normally do, and... I encourage that all the time. I, in my get a life session, I say to everybody, I'm going to ask you to be engaged today. And out of probably, I would say I've spoken to many, many thousands of people with that session. Mm -hmm. I've had two people who did not engage. And uh, one of them became a lesson that I used over and over. (laughs) But being engaged is key to this. And, for me, being aware is absolutely, without doubt, the one thing that I try and encourage people to do. Absolutely. Well, and earlier in, when you first started talking, you said at a technology conference you're doing improv. Why am I having a problem with that? I think I make some assumptions about people that are in technology, that they're all very left brain and, and um, focused on you know coding or something uh, and not really like – in their creative right brain. So am I, tell me, tell me about that because was that an unusual kind of request to ask of that group of people to do improv? So, that is? <laughs> so uh, one of my uh, places I lived in Chicago, my landlord said, Trevor, you can't be a programmer. You have a personality. <laughs> and then uh, somebody said, you're, you're, you know, you, you work in both sides of your brain. And so I had to study the whole left brain, right brain thing, which even now I'm learning about because there's a book talking about top brain and left brain, right brain is, is more of a concept than an actual physical thing. Right. Yes. So I've even learned on that. <laughs> However, what happened was I went to regular technology conferences and became known for doing things that were balanced sessions. So you have a five day technology conference with 300 to 600 sessions and people are really, it's a fire hydrant and drinking from a fire hydrant situation. And so they're looking for sessions that are balanced. And some of the sessions for balance I was able to do and Get a Life became one of those very, very popular balance sessions. And I was able to do more. And, and then doing improv was an exercise where I became involved in the organization and started doing this thing called community and networking to give balance to the whole event. And we, we actually abbreviated to the can and we would have people invite them to come sit on the can with us. And that was a lot of fun. And just that alone sort of set people uh, broke down a lot of barriers because it was silliness and play. And we truly 
used it for balance. And there was always this fight to have the first session on the last day of the conference because it was the one that people would actually turn up for if you did something for balance. And we would always try and do balance sessions. And it's been quite fascinating over the years that the, the improv sessions were the ones that were really quite well attended by people who really felt like they wanted to do something completely and utterly different. We couldn't do it on day one of the conference ever. Um, and the same with all the other balance sessions that we would do. And we would try and get some of the technologists to do balance sessions and to do sessions that were more motivational things and talked about things that were uh, good stories and ways to look at the world and, uh, you know, techniques to relax. One guy used to actually take techniques on how to relax your back. And uh, that was not very well attended because there's your programmer wall. They won't get into that. But if they're in an environment, they feel safe and they need some balance because their brain is hurting, they will come to these sessions. And then doing improv was really interesting. I actually was in, um, in Belgium at a conference and I only had one session, but they knew I could do this. So they had an MC they hired who was from a very, very famous improv troupe. And uh, on the very last day for their lunch, they had an hour and he and I did improv, actual improv show. And it was the most amazing and interesting thing because I was a little rusty. But just that as a show went really well because the people didn't have to engage. They could balance and see. But every time we do things like that, it, the people who you think are sitting there and coding uh, are really quite amazing and interesting people and less introverted than you think and more willing to engage when it's a safe environment. Mm. And for me, doing improv was something that I actually did classes for. And then I did street theater where we also did it. And then I taught it. And for me, improv, it, it's like creativity. I teach that too. The improv and creativity are actually not inherent built-in skills. You can learn them. Mm. And there's some very basic tenets, like with improv, it's like you know, once they laugh at you and you feel okay about it, that's a switch that you've turned on. That means you are entertaining them. For creativity, it's throw everything against the wall because that will generate a whole bunch of other things. And a lot of people don't get that, but if you start doing those at technology events, I actually did creativity in Sydney and I got a whole quarter page in the computer world in Australia, which was amazing because even there it was a balance in computer world talking about technology things. So it's there. I just don't think from the outside you see it quite as much as it, what it really happens on the inside. I, think I have been doing it for IBM conferences where I've been doing a lot of what they call uh, professional development and personal development skills and I've been teaching creativity and uh, overcoming your fear of speaking, building slide decks, and now storytelling. And uh, it's really interesting. A lot of the times, if you have good organizers, they'll put in those. If you don't, they won't because they've got to provide this. And, and it's really interesting that the number of conferences that have reduced them because they're not technical uh, is, is, is really fascinatingly wrong <laughs> because... <laughs> the audience actually cries out for these balanced kind of sessions. And, you know, I love, I'm a techie. So for me to stand in front of a group of techies and play, mm -hmm. I, I ended up having an opportunity to do a talk show. I actually did an entire talk show at the end of one of the days and we had an hour long 
and I did it in the form of a talk show. We had an opening monologue, which confused them completely. <laughs> and uh, then I did a bit of entertainment with a, a video and then I interviewed some people. And then at the very end, I had a band and I gave everybody in the room a kazoo and oh we all God. sang a song. And the interesting part about that was at the end of it, people said, can I keep my kazoo? Oh. So I ended up, I had some extras and I gave them away to one of the university kids who took them back and they apparently had kazoo session. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so uh, it's there. It's just not quite the reputation. Well, and if you're not in that industry, which I don't have a direct connection to, well, I do have a sibling that isn't in, in that techie world. Uh, however, um, you know, uh, he's also a magician. Not magician, musician. Sorry, I left out okay. the S. Um, so, yeah, I know that there, there's a lot of creativity and, and tech with folks who are technical. I think it's just that it, accessing it and then those of us who aren't with them regularly wonder about them. Yes. <laughs> are they always? Where are they? <laughs> yeah, they're sitting in a basement eating pizza yes. and drinking Red Bull. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought. Yeah. Yeah, yeah right next to the gamer. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> So is there a person or uh, an event or situation, you've had so many different experiences, but in that, that have influenced this development of this creative side of you, this, this genius side of you of, of storytelling and translation? So it's, it's interesting because my mother was a good influence and a bad influence. Because I was good at maths, mathematics, my mother said I had to go off and study to be an accountant. But at the same time, she would let me play. And that was always fun. When I was in grade 11, I had a maths teacher called Mr. Miller who asked us several days to do things that we wouldn't do in maths. And one of them was bring in your favorite painting bring, or, or, or drawing, bring in a favorite poem. And I took Robert Frost stopping by the woods on a snowy evening and growing up in Australia where it's 100 degrees or more during the summer every day, we don't know what snow is. Um, and so that was fascinating to me. And I also brought in MC Escher's Drawing Hands, which has always been big for me. But he encouraged us. He actually wrote and directed and produced all the school plays every year uh, and was a mathematics teacher, which yes. was the most creative guy. So he was absolutely – and I went home to Australia about – 12 years ago and I did a session at a group called um, the uh, oh I've forgotten the name of it but it was a group of uh, people over 55 University of the Third Age was what it was called uh. and I did my get a life session to them and he actually came in immediately following to do a session and I got to say hi and thank him wow. and that was incredible and amazing but he had an influence and then there was a lady in Austin and she taught a creativity class. And that was when I was in my discovery phase, if you will, living in Austin, Texas, and uh, 22, 23 years ago. And uh, she taught creativity the most amazing way, taught some things that I'm very skeptical about, like ESP and psychometry, and uh, had a very huge influence. And when I got the article in Computer World, I sent it to her and I said, see what influence you've had on the world. And she thanked me profusely for that. But she had a very huge influence. There, there are many. I, even people who have come up and told me, you know, a young lady came up to me after one of my sessions and said, I saw you do this same session four months ago. 
and I was struggling through uh, my divorce and I just then went home and divorced the and gave an expletive and she said and then I went and learned scuba and I'm going next week to to the Gold Coast and uh, I'm going to scuba on the Great Barrier Reef and uh, you know she influenced me as well because she had an amazing positive impact that she did all by herself. Just I happen to be that guy there. So I get that more lately and that blows my mind. And I'm very honored for that, but it also teaches me a lot and helps me and influences me. That's awesome. That, yeah. It's funny how the people that influence your life can be just passing through, you know, versus a math teacher you had for a full year or maybe yep. you know new for several years yep yeah absolutely very often those people can just be passing through i think they're angels you know i think they just um are those special spirits who show up and give us exactly what we need when we need it and it it, it may not know it at the time but later on yeah I've had that happen a couple of times. And, and I actually, I'll, I'll give you one of my unperspectives on that. People say that a lot and say that, you know, I don't think there is a such a thing as the right place at the right time. There's only a right place at the right time if you're aware of it. And I think you have to understand that that is actually the moment you needed. If you don't, it'll skip by you. And yeah, maybe later you might, it might appear again, but you've got to be aware. Right place at the right time is a bit of a myth. And I think it's a nice cliche. And I want to tip that upside down and say right place at the right time with the right openness and the right awareness. That makes me think maybe every time is the right place at the right time or you wouldn't be there. And Could we be. Well, just don't know it. We're just not recognizing it, right? Well, it's interesting because when I teach improv, I say that every conversation you have is improv. Everything you do in your life is improv. You're not prepared for it necessarily. You've got some skills to be able to do it, but you're just improving your way through life. And I think that there are moments in improv where you're thrown something that happens to trigger something. And I think that's life too. But the big things, I mean, I was, I don't know how I got to be in the right place at the right time to get myself on a four month trip to Chicago and uh, for my first trip to America where I was such a wide eyed little naive boy. But that was, you know, essentially what was a defining moment, but I had to be there, put out the feelers and recognize it when it appeared because mm -hmm. I could have missed it really easily. And but I'm so you, fortunate that it did. But didn't you tell me that you always wanted to come to America? I wanted to be somewhere out in the world, I had a wanderlust. And I had two choices and one was America because I'd had pen pals from the age of 11 all over America. And in fact, I met one of them when we were 29. It was the most incredible experience to meet somebody I'd you know, talked mm -hmm. to only by letters for four or five years. Uh, but UK was another one. My grandfather was actually born in Northern Ireland. He was a UK citizen. And I could have at the time got a certificate of patriarchy to work in the UK. And uh -huh. so that was my other choice. But uh, um, everybody I know grew up wanting to go to Europe. And I just had this weird thing about coming to America. So, yeah, it was America, but uh, I had a backup plan. And, um, <laughs> plan B. You know, okay, gotcha. I still love London. I truly love London uh, and, you know, Paris. Absolutely. Paris. But um, I, don't have, I have no regrets because I get to go see them and do them on a regular basis, you know. That's awesome. Yes, absolutely. Well, it sounds like to me you had a seed planted in your psyche for the U.S. and and that 
came to fulfill itself. So there we go. There we That's go. how right I like place it. at the right time. <laughs> Had London been a little stronger, maybe you know, but she did have it as a backup plan. So yep. yeah, that would have been cool. Cool. Well, are there any um, say practices or activities that you would recommend us doing that would help us develop our ability to translate and storytell and um, be aware of them being in the moment at the right time. So <laughs> right uh, I, I often tell a story when I lived in Fort Worth. Um, I'm a big coffee freak and uh, roast my own coffee beans on occasion. And I have a motorcycle where while you're riding a motorcycle, you've got to be aware of everything that's happening around you. And I'm also into art. And I drove past on my motorcycle about a quarter of a mile from my house. I drove past a shop called the art of espresso and i stopped in there on my motorcycle and it was a coffee shop and an art gallery oh cool perfect things mm -hmm. and i said quarter mile from my house and i said to the lady how long have you been here and she said eight months and what was happening was i was not being aware of what was happening around me and watching we get into this i'm going to drive a certain way every day i'm going to go i'm not going to see what's around me and it was a very big lesson for me. And I've taken that and learned that as well. When I teach in your extraordinary body, mind, soul, spirit, and heart, I talk about being aware of what's happening with each of those things. So awareness is the first step. Action is the next step. You can't do anything without action. You can talk about it all you like, but you've got to have action. And then um, evolution. You've got to be willing to grow and evolve. I see a lot of people with a comfort zone that gets smaller and shrinks okay. as we get older and you are prone to more believing more nonsense if somebody outside your box tells you, but you're also afraid when somebody pokes that comfort zone as well. And I tend to do that. <laughs> so, are you poked their comfort zones? Oh, all the time, all the time. Um, and, you know, I, it's, I always warn people at the beginning and I say, I'm going to poke your comfort zone today. And uh, I, then I get comments that say, you know, you said this. And I was like, I warned you. <laughs> um, so it's always interesting to see, uh, you know, I actually said at one point um, at an IBM event, I said, today, um, you know, you may hear things that you might not expect, for example, and I actually said the F word. I said, if you hear this word, then you sometimes shut down and you miss completely the message. And I said, so sometimes in life, don't shut down because you've said something that something happened that was offensive. See through that and you might have a lesson to learn. And two minutes later, a guy got up and went and reported me to the authorities for that. And that was like, hang on a minute. That's just, I don't know if that's irony, ignorance. I don't know what it is, but th there's occasion when people, I, I poke people's because being Australian, having an accent, being direct like an Australian is and being in America where I can get, I, I can, a cop pulls me over and I say, oh, g'day, mate. <laughs> that doesn't get me off very often, but it changes the conversation very, very quickly. Uh -huh. and, and I can't even do a proper Australian accent anymore. But um, the, the whole idea here is that the perspective of people and the willingness for them to get out of their comfort zone is where people have major changes in their life. And to do that, you have to act. You have to be aware of what's happening and you have to act and do something about it. And that will allow you to evolve. And of course, as I said at the very beginning, 
always be curious. Mm, yeah. I'm, I'm taking notes here. I like <laughs> that getting out of the comfort zone. And I think you're right. That is, and that's a, that's a biggie right there. It's yeah. life is easy if you live in your comfort zone and as it gets smaller, I, I make a joke about, you know, older men typically can put on a ball hitch on a, on a truck and they can barbecue like you wouldn't believe, but that's about all they can do at the end. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, really. But course, as yeah. your life closes in, you sort of, you know, you're not willing to see people from other cultures, religions, faiths, everything. And as an atheist and being also a profound skeptic, that gets mixed up a lot and people go, hang on a minute, what is that? And I say a skeptic is somebody who asks the questions, not sets a rule. An atheist oftentimes sets a rule. There is no whatever it is. There's no deity. And I think that you can get mixed up in that. I call myself a non-theist because I don't have a deity to which I believe. But if you do, who am I to make any changes in your beliefs? Mm -hmm. And I've had more people try and convince me to become a Christian or whatever it is than, and I used to be one. I had my own and I had my hair was too long, so I got kicked out. (laughs) <laughs> and that's also a good story for another day, but um, being open and being willing to listen and, and, and being, uh, you know, aware of what's happening around you is where wisdom comes from and growth comes from. And in the Australian Aboriginal culture, the elders are respected. For example, if you're around a fire as a younger Aboriginal, you do not walk between the elder and the fire. That's a sacred thing. And the elders are looked up to. And in the, the you know, the white culture in Australia and, and the culture in America, old people get in America, they get sent to Florida. So I think that's where everybody goes, right? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. But you get put in a, in a, in a cage rather than, hang on a minute, you've got wisdom. And, and I think that some of that is, it works both ways. But I don't want to be that. I want to be somebody who... Um, I may not have the physical uh, abilities that I had, you know, when I'm in my eighties than when I had in my Mm twenties, but my intellectual abilities and my wisdom should be much stronger. Therefore I can be of value. And that's to me, you know, making a difference in the world. And I, I think some people don't care. And uh, Mm -hmm. I like to poke because I think that if you're upset at me or if I've affected you in some way, changes are going to happen. You'll either shut down a little bit more, <laughs> but most people, if they're poked and if they feel discomfort, uh, they'll, they'll react to either go away or whatever. But ultimately I think that's what causes change is that discomfort, mm-hmm. something we're experiencing right now in America. We are. Yeah. And, and it causes us to feel like, you, you know, like in your, your intro. I mean, you, you do when you poke people and, and you're challenging their comfort zone you're causing them to feel something different. And when you've been in that comfort zone for a really long time, it can, it can feel really like a big change, but it doesn't exactly. have to be, you know, yep. just a little yep. step out can be yep. can go a long ways. And so, so the other thing I'd add to that would be patience. <laughs> okay. I'll add that to the list. Patience. Yeah, ch- change takes time. Probably with self and others. <laughs> I, so there's a thing that I used to teach that was it takes a kid three times to learn a habit and adults 33. And I don't know where I got those numbers, but it's roughly that. I, di- I did a test of my own and I moved my trash can from next to my stove, my, my microwave next to my, to my, from my fridge to my microwave. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would always go to the fridge to put stuff in the trash can. 
It turns <laughs> out I tested and it's 108 times before you get it. <laughs> <laughs> That's helpful information. <laughs> but that was just me. But patience, you've got to have patience and awareness. Every time I knew where I was going to the trash can, I got it right. But it, when I was just not thinking about it, when it was inbred, Mm-hmm. That was always an issue. So, you know, these are the things that I've learned and I want to talk about to That's people. Fascinating. And, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, what's next on tap for you? Um, I know that we're in a little, that times are a little unusual right now, but um, I, did I hear that you have another book coming out? What's going on? So I've been trying to focus on what's next for me for about two or three years. And this year I've discovered it. And it has two parts to it. And one is presentation skills. And presentation skills comes in many ways, including I'm running and facilitating storytelling workshops and doing that online. And that is very rewarding. And I'm doing that primarily for techies at the moment. And uh, I've been doing that for other people too. But, uh, you know, techies in my family and we get along and it works really well. And the evolution of, of the techies into storytelling techniques is amazing. So, that's a big focus for me for the next couple of years. Um, I am writing a, a, a um, sequel to Never Iron When You Were Naked called Breathe on Peppers. And that's a longer story, which you can, if you go to breatheonpeppers.com, you'll find out why. Okay. But I actually will have that published this year. But I'm working on one that goes to the next level of finding your passion. And I don't like the words passion, purpose, or calling because, and as another friend says, what were you born to do? I think it's, we call it, what's your mad thing? And your mad thing is MAD, you make a difference. What's the thing that you will make a difference in the world that you, that is your sphere of influence? So that book I plan to release in early 2021, and it will be called, What the Fuck Was I Meant to Do? Love. And part of that is, it is. It does, uh, you know, elicit an, a visceral reaction a lot of times. A lot of millennials go, "Yep, cool, I'll go to that." And uh, a lot of middle-aged people go, eh, "That's interesting. I think I'll go." And a lot of older people go, "Well, I'm offended." And uh, some of them will say, "Hey, but hang on a minute," and, and we'll go. So that will then be supported by my keynotes and endnotes, and I will go back with a vengeance. I recently did an event in Austin where I did my uh, sessions I mashed them called it get an extraordinary life and one of the attendees came up and said Trevor that was the best motivational session I've ever attended in my life wow. and he's probably only ever been to one however um, when I get that the joy I get in that and the the ability to impact people and affect people in in, in a positive way is my purpose passion and calling it is my mad thing and I will follow that up. It will be what I do from this point on. And very soon I will be running that virtually and running Get a Pandemic Life online. And uh, that will be fun as well. So uh, that's what's next for me. I'm going to not, not have a mission. Not sitting on your heels doing nothing, I can't tell. It's, yeah, it's, it's very busy. And I am really quite enjoying my time other than just being inside all the time and trying to work out how to break it up and go and sit outside and read book occasionally and, and find the balance for me so I can talk about that. Because if I haven't had that, you can't teach people other people's lessons. 
and uh, you have to experience it yourself. And once I've experienced it and learned it, there are things I've done in life. I've jumped out of a, a plane three times for parachuting. I've bungeed. I could not bungee when I first walked up to the bridge. I had to go the next day. Um, it's just not as terrifying as what people say it is. Oh. And, you know, having experienced those things, and I won't go do, you know, silly things and try and, you know, lose my life in that, but I will try new things. And I've been doing open mic stand up, I've been doing storytelling. I did one for The Moth in New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm willing to be open and try those things. And if I can, then I can help with the storytelling and the translation and, and the gathering of the wisdom. And then I meet people who are doing all of that and they inspire the heck out of me. So that's sort of my side benefit that really helps me grow as well. I love it. Well, you're an inspiration to me and I learned a lot today and I, you really are an inspiration. So I'm like, okay, what's, I haven't bungee jumped. I'm not jumping out of an airplane, at least not this week. Um, maybe tandem, but we'd have to look at that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, I, you really um, sparked my creativity and stretched me. So I, I hope that our listeners feel the same. And I just want to thank you very much for being here today. So Thanks, Cheryl. I really am honored. I really appreciate the time to share. So thank you very much. And I'm learning from you every day as well. I'm oh, watching thanks. your your progress and just even starting this podcast is amazing. It's on my list, but Cheryl's already done it. Uh, <laughs> so. I'd be glad to be your guest at any time Okay, excellent. <laughs> when you get started. It's a deal. So I want to thank my listeners for tuning in today to visit with us with Trevor. It's, uh, it's been a delight. And um, I want to ask you all to give us a five-star rating and review us and please share this podcast with others. We really want to get these messages out to the world because we know everyone's got genius and sometimes they overlook it within themselves. So I've been your host. I'm Cheryl Jones. You can find me at simplythebestresults.com. Please feel free to email me or give me a call even. I'm around. You know, I'm at home. (laughs) This is like everybody else. So until next time, thank you for joining us. Bye-bye. In order to reach Trevor Perry, email him at Trevor at TrevorPerry.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star rating and don't forget to hit that subscribe button. To connect with me, Cheryl C. Jones, you can find me on LinkedIn and Facebook by my name. Don't forget that Cheryl is spelled with a C-H and be sure to include my middle initial, the letter C. You're welcome to email me at Cheryl at SimplyTheBestResults.com or visit my website of www.com simplythebestresults.com for more information and inspiration. This has been a GSTBR production created and hosted by me, Cheryl C. Jones, edited by Brandy Hockaday and produced by Kathy Holscher. New episodes are available each Thursday on Apple, Stitcher, Spreaker, Google, and many other podcast directories. Thanks for joining us this week and we'll see you next week. Thank you.